Welcome to The Marketer's Journey, a podcast that delivers real conversations and fresh perspectives from senior marketing executives who share the journey they've taken and the buyer journey they create. And now here's your host, Randy Frisch. Welcome to The Marketer's Journey. I'm Randy, and today I've got a super passionate CMO leader. I've got Andrea Kale who's leading as CMO at Electric. She joined there a couple of years ago. I've known her for quite some time where she's served as CMO at Upserve, which was a Vista equity company. So she talks a little bit to us about what that experience was like working under PE. But I've also known her back when she was at companies like Signpost and Sailthrough. Lots of focus on digital companies helping to solve and helping to solve for pain as she talks about it. And within talking about that pain solve, that opportunity to correct something that you just feel needs to be fixed, she hits on finding product market fit. Now I find it interesting because when she talks about it, you can tell that's the same approach she takes in finding her best opportunities. Where is she gonna be happiest as CMO? And she hits on what that looks like in terms of finding the right CEO to work for, companies that have that product market fit as I just hit on, and even what that total addressable market may look like. The second half of our episode, we actually hit on a whole other area, which is what is the relevance of pipeline today? You know, what should we be tracking as marketers? And I'll be honest, Andrea and I got to go a lot deeper than I usually get to go with guests on this idea of what should we track and where should we sit on valuing different touch points that marketing can influence or help create right out of the gate. So we dig into a lot of detail. You're really going to enjoy the second half if you're a demand gen marketer. Stay tuned. Here we go. My chat with Andrew. Hey, Andrea, thank you so much for finding time to chat with us all about your career, the journey that you've taken to date. And let's start with where you are today. Tell us a little bit about Electric and, and what brought you there a year ago. Yeah. Uh, well, first, thanks for having me. It's good to see you again. So Electric is uh, it's an IT platform. It's a painkiller. So it's uh, everybody needs IT. Uh, my job is to help them understand why Electric is the right solution for them. You know, when I think about uh, what brought me to electric, I took a lot of time thinking about what it meant to me to like join the next company. And really I put it into three buckets, you know, first and foremost is the EQ of most importantly, the CEO. Uh, and, and I would say the EQ of my executive peers. Um, you know, you don't look around New York tech and say like, wow, the EQ of that executive team is really like awful. Like usually pretty smart people around the table. Um, I find that the biggest issue though is EQ. Um, like people just tend to like, in some cases to suck when that's the case and usually driven by the CEO, it's bad culture, bad morale. And frankly, like that's the thing I think that ruins companies. It's not even so much product market fit or like bad go to market motion. It's like, you know, just the culture is terrible. How do you uh, really cut through and find out if it's working or if it isn't like is, is glass door the right call? Yeah. yeah like it's a great question. It's really the place to start like below four. And and by the way, Randy, I know you own a business. I haven't checked your glass door. I hope it's above four, but um, below four, we're, we're above four. We're okay. 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 Good. I, I should have looked, but um, <laughs> below four, that is a red flag. Um, people are not lying. They're, they're usually like right on the money with their issues and they'll, they'll tell you there. So I would, I would first go there. And then also just ask questions as if they're another human being. 
I mean, like, what do you like to do outside of work? You know, like, I don't know. Do you just have rapport with the person? So um, some of it is gut, but I think Glassdoor is the best quantitative measure of that. The other two things I looked for was one product market fit. And as part of that, you can tell product market fit based on the NPS. So it's very important you as a marketer ask the CEO exactly what the NPS is. If he doesn't know a problem because he's not in touch with like whether or not he's delighting customers and uh, NPS definitely needs to be positive and I'm not delusional. Like we are here to build a business and sometimes the NPS just sucks. So that's fine. But like, is there a path to get that into the positive? And so NPS is one. And also, um, and I say that because without product market fit, the best marketer and sales leader on the planet are not going to do anything about fixing the sales or marketing or to me, very expensive problem if it's not. So, so that was the second thing I, I really dug a lot into, like, does a product work and people like it? And then the last is uh, total addressable. So like, even if I, even if the product's good and these people don't suck, are there like things we should do to are there, are there like enough accounts we can like go after and, and really make a difference here in the grand scheme? So those are the three things. So let me ask you, as, you know, I'm wondering if your perspective has changed because this is your third yep. CMO opportunity, not to mention other opportunities where you've had to, to lead significant parts of the marketing mm-hmm. for, uh, you know, you and I met during your first one, we were talking earlier at Signpost and that was back in 2017. So as you took on this search, has the criteria you just given changed at all? Like what what made you realize these are the three that matter? Well, first of all, just, you know, it takes a lot of time. I mean, you make mistakes along the way. You like find out what's really important to you and matters in life. And for me, it's like not hating my boss. With the exception of one, the other CEOs I've worked for have been like wonderful, fantastic human beings. But I realized that that actually was the most important thing for me. But the difference between like CMO role, let's just say, rewind five years to to now is the amount of responsibility I keep in my purview for what a CMO means. And it's not just the lead marketing function. It's like a holistic business partner. Gotcha. Tell tell me more about what you mean by holistic business partner, because I've heard that before. Who do you view as your, you know, primary partners in, in crime, if you will? Yeah. I mean, you know, certainly my executive peers all burden or shoulder, not burden, it's not a burden, shoulder the same responsibilities I do um, at the executive level. But I would say like one peripheral vision. Um, I'm not just like looking at marketing. I'm like, what is going on in the market? Like, are there strategic acquisitions at some point? Like, I'm like, oh damn, that would be a good partner because like, you know, we have the whole bottom half of the market and they have the whole top half. Like maybe this is a relationship we should be bridging relationships with, for example, or we have to hire more people because we're going through double our growth. Like where are their markets? You know, like it's not only the head of people's job to find that or operations or it's not only the CEO's job. I think um, peripheral vision, like just looking to your sides is like, is critical. And then I would also say like, you know, business metrics, not team metrics. Like I don't was a head of marketing, like really only give a shit about like some of the things that like marketing controls. And it's not that I didn't care. I just wasn't a party to like making sure that everything we do matters. So like, while I can't always control gross margin, I need to make sure as a team member, I can contribute to like fixing that however I can from a marketing perspective. So those would be two of the things that, that have changed. That's interesting. And as you think about the, the three times you've been CMO, you know, and, and let's take as an example, product market fit, because I think that's, that's a yeah. tricky one for any CMO to have confidence or fix. Yeah. Um, you know, right. Usually you want to come in when there is product market fit as, as a CMO and you know, hit the ground running from a growth perspective. But, you know, t- if, I, if I look back at your time at Upserve, which was a Vista equity partner yep. company, 
which usually would suggest you've found a degree of product market fit already. Right. How, how does that shift in a situation like that versus an earlier stage of, as your role as a CMO? Well, first of all, it's, it's awesome. Well, I would, I just want to decouple two things. Working for a PE was not awesome, but working at a company that a PE owned, because obviously a lot of diligence had been done before I'd gotten there about whether or not this thing did fit, um, is that it was awesome in that as a marketer, I'm like, wow, there's a lot of demand for this thing, you know, and not, and not every PE owned company like has a, you know, a ton of demand. I think some of that's the job. But when I got there, it wasn't like I had to teach people what POS was. And that's the same for electric. And so that was something I looked for as par- product market fit. Like, is this a need to have? Like a painkiller is a vitamin. And for me, the thing I enjoy doing is marketing the painkillers where I don't have to like re-educate people. I'm like, oh, you know, you need IT support. They're not like, what is IT support? Or like, you need a POS system. They're not like, what's POS? It's not like category creation in that way. I was actually just, now I'm just trying to harness the demand that currently exists in the market. And that's more fun for me. That makes a lot of sense. And I can tell you, I can feel, I can feel the pain of having to educate sometimes every day, you know, building a category to your point. It's a, it's a very different experience. It's got its own highs, but it's, yeah. it's own lows as, as well. Right. And then one is not better. It's just what, where you, when you think about what, which role you want to take, think through, like, is there demand in the market already that I just want to go capture more of? Or do I want to go like build a whole yeah, stream of, of new demand based on what we do? So maybe last question on on this part of our combo is, you know, giving advice to the next CMO out there, the one who's trying to aspire to that opportunity. Do you think it's better to join that company that already has product market fit, you know, jump into shoes where you know, big expectations on you? Or do you think it's it's sometimes better to start with that company that's at an earlier stage trying to figure it out and learn how to establish that at the same time? I would say join one where it's established because um, you're you're likely more resourced to go make bets in new and innovative ways to capture demand at an earlier stage company. And again, this could be true for a painkiller, but painkillers usually have an established market, to be clear. Like, you know, there's 90 POS systems. Uh, I got lucky with electric because there's not really a lot of competition because it's a really hard problem we're solving. I find that in established demand businesses, uh, later stage, you know, that they're already like willing to commit marketing dollars behind it. A, seed, you have to be like, well, I think we can go make money this way. And it's like, it's like a slow, a slow, slow burn. So preference, I guess. So the, the opportunity that you've been able to embrace is, is, is hit the ground running, deploy strategies versus having to, you know, figure out what your company means to the market. 100. I mean, again, like I said, that's a, that's a preference. So, you know, there's no right or wrong answer to that. Well, it makes it makes a lot of sense as well, given your background, which I, I associate starting more in demand generation. Yeah. More than perhaps brand building. So perhaps someone else is going to have that flip view, depending on I, where they've come from and where they want to dig their, their attention into. Uh, Andrew, this is great. We're going to take a quick break here. And then I want to shift a little bit, talk about how you think about the buyer and how you're generating all that demand right here on the Market Booster. Want to improve the buyer journey for your customers and your prospects? Look no further than our presenting sponsor, Uberflip. 
Named a leader in content experience by G2 and a leader in content activation by Forrester, Uberflip will help you accelerate every buyer journey by creating bingeable experiences that will allow your prospects to consume more content faster. Companies like Trimble, Wiley, and 3M are using Uberflip to power their go-to-market strategies, and we created one just for you. Head to uberflip.com journey to see how Uberflip can help you leverage the power of personalized content experiences. So Andrea and I just talked about the importance of finding product market fit. And the question is, when you think about where you're going next in your career, do you want to join a company that's trying to figure out product market fit or having to define a category or join the company that's ready to hit the ground running and focus on growth? Now, that answer may depend on what side of marketing you love the most. If you're the product marketer, if you're the content person, you may be excited to build that category. Whereas if you're coming from more of a demand lens, you may be waiting to go and find all those people ready to buy versus having to chase the people to buy, if you will. Now, maybe I'm a glutton for punishment, but I ended up going down the path of a company where we had to create a category. And the term that we created was content experience. Now that wasn't a term that meant a lot to people on day one. There wasn't a magic quadrant. There wasn't a Forrester wave for us to identify with. And it brought with it a whole set of different challenges. But I can tell you on the flip side, it brought a lot of opportunity. It brought opportunity to define the space that we were going after. It allowed us to introduce new ideas to marketers that they hadn't thought of as of yet. It led us to creating one of the biggest conferences in Connex in the marketing space, as well as me being able to write a book about content marketing that really challenged and pointed out, as Andrea hit on, that there is pain. We just have to realize that there's pain and there's an opportunity to fix that. My point here isn't that one is more right than the other. It's more that every company you join is going to have to determine where their product market fit is, when they're going to find that magic moment. And you have to think about what point you want to join in your journey. All right, Andrea, so we just talked about your career. And one of the things I took away from that is the importance of being able to hit the ground running and generate demand. Now, demand itself, there's a lot of different perspectives of what should we track. And I found an interesting post from you on social in the last little while. It refers to this question that you pose, is pipeline dead? Is it, and that was the words that you threw out there. Maybe you can help us understand what you mean by that question. Yeah, you know, I the question has been in the past, like, is the MQL dead? I'm like, first of all, what are we even talking about here as it relates to KPIs? The actual only, only thing that I owe my VP of sales based on marketing's contribution to bookings is whether or not I got him the amount of bookings he needs to hit his number. Well, I think pipeline is an important leading indicator. Um, What I mean by is pipeline dead, it's like, why are we reporting on it? I, for example, was preparing board slides for a board meeting we had earlier today. And I looking at the slide, we were 90% to bookings goal in Q2. We were 394% to pipeline goal. And I'm like, who who gives a shit that I was 394? I was 90% to bookings. Now, they want to know, like, I've been able to get meetings over to sales, but frankly, like, I missed the mark. And like, yes, there was a pandemic and we were 90% to goal. So like all things considered, maybe it was fine. 
But like, really, I'm showing 394 and then 90. It just felt like not the right thing to be pounding my chest over. Let, let me challenge you, though, a bit. And I, I'm just going to play one side of the coin just, just for fun here. If, if we don't track pipeline, how will the company as a whole understand marketing's contribution? Because I think sometimes when we look at purely closed bookings, upsell, et cetera, you know, the challenge then comes in, well, what did marketing actually do with it? What was their role in terms of understanding the impact? How do you, how do you solve for that? Yeah. I mean, you know, again, the, the, the two types of impact related to bookings are whether or not you originated the booking. So like you did something, then person found your business and now they're interested. I do like PPC or affiliate marketing or content marketing, which is in organic search, you know, th- those there's, let's just call it like eight channels you you're spending in they found you, okay, you can attribute that the first such market was a marketing thing you did, originated. Just report on the bookings of that. because I, I think marketers should be tracking the pipeline related to all that to make sure you are not degrading your conversions to win rates and all those other things. But ultimately, I just think it's something marketers need to keep in their back pocket. The other thing you're talking about, I think, is influenced. That's of all the other things going on, right? Like we do IT Pro Tour. Those are webinars. We do IT Pro Slack community. We do a ton of shit. I do look at the influence number as well, because I think if I didn't, it would disincentivize marketing to want to support sales and build a brand. So again, all things, all those things should be very important metrics that marketers look at to make sure that we are either originating bookings or influencing it. So we're helping the deals. But ultimately, it's aligning on what do those two bookings numbers need to be in order for marketing to be considered successful. So I'd love to get a little more into the process of how you do that and how you rally your team to find the metrics, track the metrics in in the most accurate way possible. Are you trying to embrace these ideas of multi-touch attribution? How are you trying to actually record these these moments? originated as first such attribution, we look at whether or not somebody came to us from a marketing thing and it was the first time they met us. Um, That includes new leads in the system or it includes leads that have not been touched and were already accounts in the system. If visible helps me know whether or not marketing was the reason for that. Um, And then influenced includes all the other touch points as well. So like if we had a webinar and an owned account from a sales rep they couldn't, they weren't making progress on it, but the last touch there was a webinar and then they turned into an opportunity. Marketing looks at that as influenced pipeline. We said, well, I think we did something to help kind of move this along. So visible first touch originated visible multi-touch for influenced. Gotcha. And and I'm, I know I'm getting really into the weeds here That's on okay. the latter example there, but, it, but I find this interesting. Yeah. You know, some of the challenges some argue with with visible is, you know, you can break down that attribution to certain degrees. So do you care a lot about the percentage of attribution or the fact that there was some sort of influence from that webinar? Because I think the way it works is you get certain blocks of attribution for the beginning and the end, and then the rest of it kind of gets... 10% 10% overall or something. Yeah, you're, no, you're right. So there's like U-shape, there's W-shape, there's full path. And every time it lead meets a new stage, you give give weight or credit to the particular thing they did. So for example, if webinar 
W shape was the thing that turned it into an opportunity. And W, it's like 30, 30. So that's 90 and it's 10 in between. I literally could give a shit about that. And frankly, like I said, it's all influenced. So I don't even really report on it. I track it. The CEO wants to know because he does think it's important. But that's because he's a normal like human being who understands that like marketing isn't just this one and done thing around acquired or originated. It helps move business along. And so for those reasons, I report on, on influence. But just to be clear, on the acquired side, uh, you had asked the question, I think, as part of this one, which is like, how do you, you know, how do you think about the goals? Marketing at Electric is, let's just call it 40%. I'm responsible for 40% originated. So my goals are very clear. I know how many opportunities I need to generate. I know how much pipeline I need to generate. But at the end of the day, I'm really only telling sales, like, you needed a million bucks for marketing. Here it is. I got it for you. And we acquired them. And, and here's the number. Influenced is much we 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 influence a much higher amount than 40%. I think it's closer to 70. It just we don't talk about it really. That makes sense. Absolutely. Let's just jump into that for a moment because I I think there's an interesting challenge that I sometimes see there which is yeah. you know when when we get into the influenced how do you give recognition to your team for their accomplishments? I mean you know very often we see deservingly so sales reps getting a lot of praise, a lot of accolades for closing a deal. How do you, you know, and, and sometimes even the BDR will get highlighted saying, you know, without that person lining it up, it would have never happened. Totally. Have you found a way to highlight the marketer's effort behind the webinar, behind the event, you know, in a pre-COVID day uh, that would have led you there? You know, first of all, now that you're like saying this out loud, I'm not doing it enough. When we generate meetings though, the SDR, we have a sales channel. And like every time a meeting gets set, the SDRs put it in this channel and they say like how they set the meeting, whether it was like an email template or whatever. If it's marketing generated, they call the marketer out specifically. So for example, we set a meeting because we did something with the morning brew. They're like at Hallie, you know, cause Hallie was the one who did it. So there's like general recognition, but I think as it relates to like deals that were influencing, no, not enough. So I'm, yeah. I'm making a, Making a note here, Randy, to be better. Oh uh, yeah, you can chat with the uh, with the VP of marketing on my team, Mike Waldron, and he he does a good job. Oh at, please. At, at pulling reports, actually, we don't use Visible; we use Engageo for for similar type of reporting that we try and do with with multiple touch and and showing the life of a deal. And I and I think that's the interesting thing to look at these deals, especially when you're in you know, more complex sales where every right. deal really does move the needle. Yeah. There's an opportunity to go back and reflect on all the things that led to that person's journey. And I think that that's the real, the, the, the real thing that we're talking about here is how do we chart a better journey for the buyer? Yeah, no. And, you know, all these things are critical. All the things we're doing are critical in the buyer's journey. And like I said, the CEO fundamentally knows that, but I probably could do a better job of painting the picture of all the touch points in between that have, have done that. And like, yeah, giving the marketers some love for, for having created a great experience. There you go. Well, let, let's, let's wrap up on that point. I, I think, you know, I mean, you're showing some humility there at the same time. So you're, you're clearly got things down third time around as CMO. <laughs> Andrew, this has been great. We're going to keep you around though. If you've got another minute, I want to get to know a little bit more about how you take personal time right after this short break. So 
So I have to tell you, I am loving this conversation with Andrea. We are getting into the heated little tidbits of information that every CMO, every marketer battles with their CEO, the VP of sales. And when I say battle, it's not always a bad thing. It's this debate. What matters? What matters in terms of getting to that ultimate revenue and eventually the renewal? What are the indicators that are going to tell whether our business is going to hit its goals? What are you going to tell your board? And I, I think it's really important when we talk about multi-touch attribution to acknowledge that every engagement with the customer does matter. That's why we obsess over these customer journeys and the different paths that they may take. Yet at the same time, we have to be careful not to overemphasize the ability to justify every touch point. Let's think about it this way. Every touch point is simply gonna extend the length of your sales cycle. It is probably gonna cost you a little bit more because we have to spend money to go engage those audiences. So the key part that I think we need to layer on top of this conversation is really being able to dig into the data and understand what are those moments? What are those attributed moments, whether they are what originated some pipeline or whether they're what accelerated that pipeline and whichever one it is, what made a difference? You know, one of the ways we can do this is absolutely looking at the data, but it's also talking to our customers, helping get an understanding after a deal closed and what moved the needle. Taking a look at similarities across different deals to see what assets from a content perspective at certain stages of the buyer journey or what messaging really resonated with your buyer to get them over the line. Multi-touch attribution is great, but as few touches as we can have is gonna create a more efficient sales cycle, more efficient company, and better unit economics overall. All right, Andrea, we've unpacked your career. We've taken a look at the buyer journey, gone really deep there in some of the metrics, which was fun. Now I want to understand how you take a break from all this. How do you actually clear your mind? And as we record this, we're using some video. I can see a island theme behind you in your Zoom background. So I know where you're dreaming, but how do you actually make those breaks happen? Yeah, um, you're right. I I love the beach. Um, sadly, I've you know, it'd be a little while before I, I get there. Actually, the next time I definitely plan on getting there is for my 40th. All my friends were going to the beach. So that'll be fun. Uh, since COVID, you know, I've been working in the city for the last 15 years. And uh, that, that was a big time suck in terms of like my personal commitment to work. While I, I don't want to use the word thankful for the current state of the world, that that's not the appropriate way to think about it. Um, I did get a large portion of my time back, which brought my quality of life up. And so I have a wife and a stepdaughter here in New Jersey. I just get more time to like spend with them. Uh, I get to go for walks in the morning. I used to play uh, division one soccer at Michigan and I was on the U S national team. So like there's some athletic ability in me today. And I don't really do a whole lot of that anymore, but walking to decompress, I listen to a lot of masterclass uh, on my walks and, you know, on the weekends, I really, really love to read things that are not business related. That's great. So I'm curious now on this on these master classes that you're taking, are they professionally motivating or are they more personally motivating? Is it, you know, master classing something that that would apply to you as a marketer? No. Um actually one that I'm listening to right now is Dor Doris Kearns Goodwin. She's she was a presidential advisor and historian. Um that one talks about leadership and honestly, like my mind is blown. It is like one of the best podcast like classes I've, I've ever listened to because she looks at leadership through the eyes of like what made presidents successful because she's like intimately understands their history. So that one's been fantastic. Um, but my favorite one so far has been Gary Kasparov. I play a lot of chess. 
And he's been the, you know, the world's best player for, I don't know, decades. So uh, watching him think about the board and the moves is like also mind blowing. It gives me like chills, like thinking about how smart this guy is and how he thinks. So no, I, they're not really supposed to be professionally motivated by my professional career, but. Well, that's great. I, I mean, you can sense the strategy in you if that's the stuff that, that keeps you <laughs> and, and, and lets you unwind. Andrew, this has been great uh, for everyone tuning in. If you've enjoyed hearing about Andrew's journey, please join us to listen to a whole bunch of other marketing leaders, many CMOs. Everyone takes a different path, has different beliefs, and that's what makes these podcasts so interesting for me. And I hope you too. You can find them on Spotify, on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, pretty much anywhere you get your podcasts especially we can give us feedback, please do so. Until next time, thanks to Andrea and thanks to all of you for tuning in. You've been listening to the Marketer's Journey podcast. Big thanks to our sponsors at Uberflip, who help you fuel demand generation with content for an accelerated buyer journey. To ensure you never miss an episode, subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify at uberflip.com slash podcast or anywhere you listen to podcasts.